0: This morning I'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, doing the will of flesh and senses, and we were, by nature, children of wrath like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, Highland. It's good to see you. My name is Shane Hughes. I'm one of the ministers here. And, uh, Man, it's a good, it's a good day. I, I woke up this morning. I was headed out the door. My wife told me that my outfit, outfit looked uh, unreasonably optimistic for fall. And I, I think she was right. But I'm ready. I'm ready for fall. I'm ready for... Um, for, for the, the students to be back, we, we sent our kids to, uh, to school last week, and that felt really um, strange, but also surprisingly really good. Um, and I, I'm ready for cool weather. Mostly I'm just ready for not hot weather. I, I'd be happy with a high in the high 80s. You know, that'd be, that'd be great. I'd take it. Um, and I'm excited because this time of year, it feels like a new year. If you live in that academic calendar because you have kids or because you work in schools of one form or another, then, then August feels like kind of the beginning of things, and May feels like the end of things. And we're starting this new series uh, this week called Deliver Us. And we're going we're gonna to spend some time, there's going to be three sections as we walk through Scripture together, thinking about what does it mean to be engaged in the fight against evil, If you look over at this side of the room, you're going to see that baptism part of our pathway. Um, That's part of the rhythm that we live in as a a church, as a community. That's that's how we walk together. We're going to rest in the baptism part of our pathway for, for a little while this fall. I want to remind you that your baptism is your inauguration in the fight against evil. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what does it mean to be delivered from the evil one. And I, I want you to make a commitment to yourself. Maybe it's, it's to someone you live with. Maybe it's to your family. Um, these, this is important. What we're going to talk about this fall is important. And so I would love for you to make that intention, set that intention in yourself or with your family that I'm going to show up, right? I get it. It's hard. And, and weekends, they go too short and you've got too much on your plate. But make the intention to show up on Sunday, because what I think you're going to find as we dig through Scripture together are the words, the words of life. But, but I wonder if things don't feel right. Have you ever woken up and it just feels wrong, something's off? you don't know exactly what it is, you don't know exactly why, but your whole day just kinda feels, it it feels like it's too difficult, it feels like you got started on the wrong foot, it feels like nothing's just clicking in the place the way it's supposed to. I wonder if you've ever felt that. It's kinda like this video that I wanna show you. Maybe you've been at the beach and you've just needed to kind of rinse yourself off after you're, you were you want to get the sand off, you wanna get the salt, water off. And so you go to the shower to, you know, wash your hair. But something is, it's just off. And you check your shampoo because there's no way it could be this sudsy. So you just keep rinsing and rinsing. And you just happen to be a massive bodybuilder. I don't know why that's the guy that they're doing this uh, prank to. I think this could really go south if it goes the wrong way. But he's just trying and trying. It just feels like something's off. There's something not right about what's happening right now and it can make you feel a little bit frustrated (laughs) you've been there you know how that feels you know exactly where that guy is at there's something wrong and it's hard to name exactly what it is and that's exactly how it can feel sometimes with our walk with Christ it's just not going well we we're not being Christ-like in our day-to-day. It's hard to be more forgiving. We can't forgive in, in little ways, like someone in traffic is, is rude to you or somebody says a slight to you. It's harder to forgive than it used to be. You don't have the same zeal for worship uh, or, the, or the Word of God like you did when you were younger. It's, it's, it's harder to get the momentum just to pull your Bible out. Following Jesus seems more difficult it almost feels like there's this invisible force that's, that's pushing against you, that's trying to stop you. Last fall, I uh, began training for a triathlon. It's a sprint triathlon. It's the baby one. Nobody's going crazy here. But a triathlon involves swimming and a bike and a run. And everybody spends most of their time trying to swim as much as they can, which makes sense because that's the place you're going to die probably. But really, you're going to spend about eighty percent, eighty-five percent of the time that you're in the race on the bike. And so you should really spend more time biking than you should do anything else. And so. I took this wise advice and I took my life in my hands as I rode a bike out of Abilene. But once you get outside of of Abilene, it's pretty simple. There's just a bunch of farm roads that just go out forever and they're pretty flat. I mean, there's not a lot of hills. Uh, And once you get, you know, 10, 12, 15 miles out, you just kind of turn around and drive back. Drive, not drive, bike back. And because I'm a geek and I love data, I was tracking myself and and watching my speeds and I was tracking my nutrition and my sleep alongside. But one thing I noticed is that there were just some days where my uh, pace per per, uh, minute, pace per hour, was just so much slower. And I couldn't figure out what it was. It's not that I ate eggs or didn't eat eggs. It's not that I got six hours of sleep or seven hours of sleep. I, I, I couldn't figure out what it was. I was just slower on some days more than others. But you know exactly what it was that was slowing me down. It wasn't a hill. It was the wind. That's exactly right. You don't need hills in Abilene when you have a 30 mile an hour headwind against you on a bike. That's enough, right? And some days it just felt It just felt harder for some reason. And I think the Apostle Paul gets this. I think Scripture gets this. Sometimes it's just harder to to get up to get to church. It's harder to turn the other cheek, whether in person or online. As Paul puts it in Romans 7, I know the good I ought to do but I don't, I don't do it. The whole text is seven, eighteen through 20. For I know that the good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have a desire to do what is good, but I, I can't carry it out. For I do not go, do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. For if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin, living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin that is at work within me. What a wretched person I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God. Who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord? Here, Paul is going to use the terms of, of sin and evil. He's going to talk about the, the unseen forces, the headwind that pushes against you and your spiritual life. And in our modern world, we've kind of gotten away from using these terms. And there's two reasons for that that I see. The first one is, is the Enlightenment, it's, it's modernity as a whole, that uh, Enlightenment thinking discounted everything that could not be empirically proven. And so spiritual realities were downgraded and and disproven, and much of the non-believing world we live in today is produced by the work of the Enlightenment, as a product of the Enlightenment, thinking and influence. And so it's almost perceived to be childish and unintellectual to believe in things like sin or evil or the evil one. Instead, we seek more rational explanations that fit into our enlightened framework but I mean, spiritual forces at work come on so the first reason it's hard for you to kind of enter into this reality of of good and evil of 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 a, of a devil that's working against you of the headwind that's pushing against you is that you don't come from a world that kind of embraces that idea the, the second reality is that we just don't like it i mean it's scary it's frightening to think that there might be malevolent forces out there against you. Like when you were a kid. When I was a kid, I, I went to the haunted house, and it was probably way too early for me to be going to do that, but I had uh, uh, two older sisters that were ready for that, and so I just kind of got dragged along. And after about three minutes into that haunted house, I just closed my eyes and hung on to my sister's hand the whole way through. It didn't mean that, that the scary things weren't there. It just meant that I didn't have to see it. Or think about it and so I kind of whistle through the dark I think sometimes we live there maybe someone in your past talked too much about the devil trying to trip you up or about the wiles of a, of a character whose goal it is to drag you into hell and so maybe you're just kind of like burnt out on the whole idea of spiritual warfare so let's just talk about positive things instead right I mean, for me, I think this introduction to spiritual warfare, I'm, I'm a, a, like really late in Gen X uh, or very early millennial, depending on how you um, gauge that. I, I grew up with a Game Boy that was in black and white. And, um, and for me, I think my introduction to this was, uh, was Frank Peretti books. If you ever read those or remember those, uh, the two big ones were, you know, Uh, This present darkness and piercing the darkness. And and they were fiction, but they kind of cast this image of of demons and angels that were in in conflict. And and, and those demons and angels could interact with the physical world in ways. Like, there's this one moment that is, it's in my mind, it's hard to move out. A a demon puts his sword into a, a car engine and it stops the car from moving. And then there's this other scene where there's angels and they're on the sidelines and they want to get into the fight, but they can't get into the fight because nobody's praying yet. And then when somebody begins to pray, all of a sudden they're unleashed to get into the fight. And it made me think, like, is there really just like kind of demons and angels behind every bush and shrub and, and this war that's going on around me that I can't see? And I think it may have given me a false idea of what spiritual warfare actually is. Spiritual warfare is probably not what you think. In fact, we're going to dwell on the fact that, as far as I can tell, the evil one, the devil, the Satan, whatever the accuser, really only has one weapon. It really only has one tool. That tool is lies. And so the battle is not the battle that you think of. There's not some sort of imaginary battle line that exists like in World War II in France or, or, or in Ukraine now where there's this kind of war zone and then there's other places where there's, there's not war. It's an asymmetric battle because it only exists in your mind. And the, the confrontation that you're going to have to deal with is the lies being told to you by the evil one. In fact, that's the whole thing. And it's understandable if that seems scary to you or if that seems unnerving to you or you don't want to believe it. It's understandable. But the New Testament and Jesus himself were not shy about articulating these spiritual realities. God and angels at work in the spiritual realms as well as opposing spiritual forces at work. Which brings us to our text today, what Paul is writing in Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying gratifying the cravings of our flesh And following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were driven, we were by nature deserving wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. For it is by grace that you have been saved. You can't get out of Romans 7 unless you get to Romans 8. Right? Romans 7, about I, I do the thing I don't want to do, but what I do want to do I can't do, and I, and I feel wretched in this spot. That's The only way out of that circumstance is to read Romans 8 and to see what the grace of God can do for us. The New Testament knows what the something that's wrong is, that, that deep angst within us, the, the fact that we can't rinse our hair. It's referred to as the devil and the flesh and the world. John Mark Comer calls these the unholy trinity of sorts. It's the opposing forces doing God's will. And you get all three of these from this passage in, in, in Ephesians. You get this concept of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's the evil one. The cravings of our flesh. And each one spreads and perpetuates lies and falsehoods and undermans the will of God in different and distinct yet coordinated ways. The only tool the evil one has is lies and, and, and whispers lies in your ears. Sometimes it's, it's, a, it's a lie that is swaddled in, in the appearance of truth. Uh, John 8, he's called the father of lies." In Genesis 3, the Satan asks Adam and Eve, "Did God really say you couldn't eat any tree?" by mysteries that representing the facts?" In Matthew 4, Jesus is being tempted by the Satan. And in Matthew 4, Matthew, he he very clearly articulates kind of the three names for the devil. The first one is is the tempter. It's going to show up on the slide. Uh, The the tempter is the one who entices. The one who tempts in the way that entices you to partake of the fruit of destruction by making it look so good. By making you think, I am going to be so wise if I believe this lie. Creates a place where you're so self-interested to partake of that kind of fruit. But then what quickly follows the tempter is, is the accuser. First, he's going to, to draw you in. But once you have bitten, then he accuses you of having done so. The, the Satan is a short-lived friend. First, the temptation comes. Do it. It'll be good. Then comes the word. How could you have done that? What would your father think of you now? After the tempter and the accuser comes the adversary, the Satan. And he is the enemy of your soul. And I want to be clear, the only goal of the adversary in the cosmos is destruction. The only thing that the evil one wants to do in this world, probably the only thing the evil one is capable of doing in this world, is twisting and bending reality against the will of God. And so we're going to look at the lies, the lies that the evil one tells us. We're going to talk about the flesh, and what I mean by that is is that you know, once a lie takes root, it embodies in your, in your soul. The, the devil only has one, one trick, right? The devil only has one skill. It's to tell you lies. But out of that lie, when it rests in your body, what births from that lie is things like greed. And, and, and things like uh, lust and all of these other ideas. This, this selfishness that begins to birth out of that anger and frustration, rage, envy, wrath. All of those things, they come out of the root Of the lie once you plant it in your body and then there's what happens next is kind of this idea of the world and I and I hate that word because it's kind of cliche and it it kind of creates this us versus them mentality which I don't think is all of that useful but I can't think another way of thinking about it what I want us to think about is is when the root of the lie is nestled in your body it takes root it's incarnate in you then that becomes widely shared and believed It's the effect of what happens when the lies of the devil and giving into the flesh happen in a social level. Everyone agrees to the lies that are fed to them, and then it just becomes like a norm. For instance, one of the things we've learned from Twitter is if it's true, if it trends, then it's true. Right? Like if you just keep saying the same lie over and over and often enough, then it just kind of becomes true. It becomes accepted. And the winner is not the one who has data or the one that is right. It's the one that just repeats themselves the loudest and the longest. And then it becomes accepted. And then, again, throwing back to my Gen X roots, this is true in a million different ways. And I was, I was shocked when I looked back and reflected on this. When I was in, high, in college, there was this um, app called Napster. And basically, it was just like a server that stored MP3s. And before this moment, if you wanted music, you had to take all of your hard-earned money because CDs were like 18 or $20 a piece, and you had to go to the music store, you had to buy the CD, you couldn't even open it, and so you had to risk like, you may not even like all but one of the songs on this album, and you just blew 18 bucks. But with Napster, you could take that CD into your computer, you rip it, you turn it into an MP3, and then you load it into what we now call the cloud, but back then we didn't have that word. And then you could just use the service to search. And you could find all the music in the world. And this was amazing. I mean, Apple kind of killed it when they began selling songs for 99 cents a pop. They don't even do that anymore because you can just pay $15 and get the entire, you know, the entire catalog of the world at your fingertips. But at the time, it was pretty tempting. In fact, it didn't feel that wrong to download, in my case, five or six gigabytes of music. Um, It felt like, it felt a little bit like justice. And then there was this moment where Metallica... Which is like this very hard rock band, and now they're all geriatric. But then they were cool, um, and they found out what Napster was doing, and so they sued Napster. And it was this weird moment because this like you know it's like revolutionary hard rock band is like become a corporation that's suing the new revolutionary thing, and because they were stealing IP intellectual property. In fact, uh, the reason it happened is because Metallica had a song released on Napster before they were even done with it. Somebody leaked it out of the studio and they showed up and they said, no, that's not even our song. It's not even finished yet. That doesn't represent us yet. But I got to tell you the truth. I'll tell you all of that like weird walk down memory lane to tell you this. If you would ask most college Christians about the ethics of stealing, and you'd ask me, you'd ask me as a a 20-year-old junior um, in the dorm, uh, hey, would you, would you go to, like, United and steal food? I probably wouldn't do it. If you ask me, like, would you go to, you know, um, Hastings, because that used to be here, uh, would you go in there and just steal music off the shelf? There's no way I would do that. I was a good kid. But if you ask me, do you use Napster? Ugh. Yeah. The world has a way of taking the, the lie of your desire embedded in your body and making it a social norm so you don't even realize that the lie that you're telling to yourself or to somebody else is a problem until it destroys things. So if it feels like there's something wrong with your shampoo, that's because there is something wrong. The way that we interact socially online, full of rage and anger, the way that makes your blood pressure rise, the way that makes your adrenaline pump, that's not the way it's supposed to be. If it feels like there's something wrong with your faith, that's because there is. There's someone that's trying to mess with it. It's, it's the, this unholy trinity of the devil, the flesh, and the world. But let me tell you the good news. The good news is that there is an antidotes and defenses against these spiritual forces. They are ongoing spiritual practices that were important for Jesus and the early Christians, and they should be important for us as well. The antidote to the devil's lies are quiet prayer and filling your mind with Scripture. The problem with the lie is that it can seep in through a crack and take root inside of you. The only defense against it is to fill your mind with Scripture and to allow the time and space in your life where it's quiet enough for you to hear the voice of God. The antidote to the desires of the flesh are are practices like like fasting and confession, the way that you can reorder your passions in, in line to what God is doing in this world. The antidote to the world is Christian community, and it's a group of people just like this, who remind one another what is really true. (laughs) So for the next few weeks, we're going to zoom in on these things, the devil, the flesh, and the world. And we're going to examine scriptures and talk about some of the common tricks and pranks so that we can spot them and not fall for them. Like you might want to look and turn to see what's behind you the next time you're taking a shower on the beach. And then we will equip ourselves for the antidotes with an antidote for these things. This whole series is inspired by the book called uh, Live No Lies by John Mark Comer, and I, I encourage you to buy that book uh, or read it um, to check it out or just get a podcast or two where the author uh, is talking about it. But we're going to change the end of our service um, for this next season. Um, instead of calling, being called to prayer, we're going to engage in a practice, and I'm going to give you a challenge in the practice. And so today what I want us to do is, is, is practice Uh, defenses against the enemy of the soul right now with prayer, scripture, and community. We're going to spend a few quiet moments hearing and praying prayers from scripture together. And earlier I said these practices have to be ongoing. They're called spiritual disciplines, not spiritual one-offs. And I think that I could easily get down and knock out like 50 push-ups anytime I need to, maybe 10 push-ups I think Phil could probably knock out 50. You got it. Um, But that doesn't mean if I were able to do that, that I would immediately be in shape. These practices that need to become regular disciplines so that they become a part of my way of life, part of our daily and weekly rhythms. And you have to start somewhere. So this is what I want you to do. We're going to read three texts of Scripture. As I read these prayers... I want you to listen for a word or a phrase to take into your week. If you want to get out your phone and and write a note to jot it down, that's an excellent idea. If you want to set it as a reminder so it pops up every day this week at a certain time, that's even better. But we need to be be immersed in Scripture. Listen uh, for a powerful word of truth, something to hold on and to meditate upon. For this is your defense against the lies of the devil, the desires of the flesh, and the pervasive influence of the world. So let's just take let's take a moment to pause and reflect and listen for that word or that phrase. Or maybe it's something else in this moment that the Spirit kind of gives you. And your goal, your homework this week is to hold on to that. Find a way to make that a habitual practice in your week. As we are one. Them, I in them, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That's John 17. My dear brothers and sisters, Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. That's in James chapter 1. You have searched me, Lord. And you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, O Lord, completely know it. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful to me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. It's from Psalm 130. So the challenge for you this week is simple and pretty straightforward. Find a way to be immersed in the Word. Set a reminder on your phone. Set a text to yourself, however you might want to do that, to find a way to find a place in your day and in your week where you can hear the truth that God needs to tell you. Will you please stand for our benediction? The only way to get out of Romans 7 is to move your heart to Romans 8. And the story of Romans 8 is that there is a God who so deeply loves you, who so profoundly cares for you, who so completely wants you to be entirely his, that he sent his son to die for us. So may you go in joy and freedom this week. May you live with courage and honesty. May you confront the lie of the evil one. Go in peace.